listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Spent two evenings this past week listening to some great live jazz music. It was the Winnipeg Jazz Festival week. Tuesday evening, Rob Burton and I went to see Kamasi Washington, the rising star in the world of jazz. With an incredibly good and inventive band, Washington is filling theaters across the continent. He's getting the kind of enthusiastic reception generally reserved for rock stars, and he's earning it. Then last night, Larry and I went to see the Tia Fuller Quartet at the West End Cultural Center. Now, the Tia Fuller Quartet certainly took a more conventional approach to jazz than what Rob and I heard on Tuesday night, but there was still lots to soak in. The young drummer in her quartet was playing his very first gig in the band, and he grinned from ear to ear the whole time. I particularly love watching the bass player, a woman named Mimi Jones, who all but danced as she played her upright bass, as if she was playing with the whole of her body. Jazz is improvisational music, in which the musicians are freed to explore and to create on the spot, in the moment. Yet, As the theologian and musician Jeremy Begbie has argued, even improvisational music is not without constraints. There are musical constraints, things like meter and harmonic sequence. But there's also what Begbie calls occasional constraints, things like the physical space in which the music is being performed the way the improvising participants play off of each other on that particular night. Even the response of the audience itself is part of what constrains or gives shape to the whole. Improvisational music, in other words, doesn't come out of nowhere. It has context, it has a dynamic, it has a a kind of a container. It's the reason that great jazz improvisers need first to really learn the standard tunes and then to work hard at scales, to have a command of the chord structures. Great improvisational musicians don't presume to have license to do just anything they want, even if it can sometimes sound like it to people who don't really like jazz. There's tons of creative freedom in this music, but at at its best, it's not freedom from all the rules, but rather freedom for the creation of music in the moment. When Mimi Jones was dancing with her upright bass at last night's concert, it had much to do with how freed up she was in the creativity of the moment, but it also had to do with how anchored she was within the constraints those four musicians were all actively acknowledging and working with. I think it's part of what Paul is working at here. 
In this section of his letter to the Galatian churches, this idea of constraints, freedom for, not freedom from, Paul's very big on freedom in this passage. In fact, it's one of the recurring themes in this epistle to the Galatians as a whole. For freedom Christ has set you free, he proclaims. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. He continues a a little further into the passage. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves one to another. Do you see what he's done there? It's begun by telling his readers that they have been set free. And so they should not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But then when he begins to work out more fully how this is going to play, he tells them that at the heart of their freedom is a call through love to become slaves. Slaves to one another. It's interesting that Paul uses slavery language when a bit earlier in this very same epistle he denounced so clearly that in Christ there is no longer any distinction between slave and free. That on account of Jesus the old dividing lines set so firmly in place by the dominant culture were now null and void. Yet here he is, just a chapter or so later, telling this graciously freed people to become slaves to one another. While in other letters, Paul writes of being freed up to be a slave of Christ or a slave of righteousness. Well, it's because Paul knows that true freedom is not the same thing as raw license. True freedom is not freedom from, but freedom for. It isn't freedom from all imaginable standards and constraints. It's freedom for something deeper, something more true. That's where he begins to work his contrasting lists of what he calls the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, he writes. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, it might be easy to hear these words and imagine that Paul is drawing some firm line between the body and the spirit, that he's suspicious, in fact, of the physical body, and so is calling his community to live a sort of a pure spiritual life, For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. What the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, he continues. And so we might think that what Paul wants people to do is to deny all things connected to the physical body for the sake of being more spiritual. The shorthand might be body bad, spirit good. So tame all of that base and nasty stuff connected to your bodies. And turn all of your energy and attention to the pure stuff of spirit, of soul. But there are really deep problems in hearing Paul in that way. For one thing, Paul's worldview is far too Jewish 
to be dualistic in that body, bad, spirit, good kind of a way. Because in the Jewish way of seeing things, in the Jewish worldview, to be human, to be alive, is to be embodied. Spirit and body are inescapably intertwined as one. There is no pure spirit trapped in some base body, as many of the Gnostic sects would later teach. Because the body for Jews is not a trap. The body is very much constitutive of who and what we are. But even more important is Paul's use of the word flesh rather than body. The Greek word translated as flesh is sarx. Sarx. And in Paul's hands, it tends to be a rather value-laden word. The Greek word for body, on the other hand, is soma, which is the word used in the Gospels when Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, my soma, given for you. It's soma that's used when Paul begins to write of the Christian community being the body of Christ, the soma of Christ. Soma is a kind of a straightforward word for the created physical human form. Sarks, flesh, it's different, particularly in the meaning-loaded way in which Paul uses it here. Some biblical translations actually try to get a hold of this by opting for alternatives to that word flesh. So the New English Bible uses lower nature instead. The New International uses sinful nature. The Jerusalem Bible opts for self-indulgence. You see that shading, right? It's to try to make a distinction between bodies and self-indulgent or, 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 or kind of working out of a, of a more broken place. As Paul is using the word sarks or flesh, he's talking about the ways that we can get distorted, diminished, and destructive in ourselves, both self-destructive and destructive of the other. He's got quite a list of works of the flesh which opens with that particularly loaded word, fornication, and concludes with drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Fornication, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It sort of sounds like Paul's got the stereotypical weekend in Las Vegas in view, doesn't it? Maybe there's a sense in which he does. You know the famous marketing slogan for Vegas? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I think Paul would counsel that you can't bracket off some part of yourself, some part of your experience like that, and expect it to stay there. Because what we do with our bodies or to our bodies is actually being done to ourselves and to other bodies and other selves as well. But at the same time, Paul is not just listing off a series of prohibited behaviors that good Christians should avoid. He's not moralizing in that way. No, instead he's saying 
that if these are the things that are characterizing your life, then you've got a problem. It's kind of like the proverbial canary in the coal mine. You know, miners used to take a canary down in a, in a cage into the mine, into the pit with them, because the canary would die of oxygen deprivation before humans would. That's where that saying comes from. If the canary dies, the oxygen's running out. It's time to get out of the mine, time to get back to the surface, back to the air. If you're finding your life is dominated by the things in Paul's list, which includes not only the stereotypical Las Vegas, lost weekend kinds of stuff, but also enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, and envy. If that's what you're living out of, if that's the space you're in, then it's time to get up and get out into the air that the Spirit wants you to breathe. And what's in that air that we're meant to be breathing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And he's clear, there is no law against these things. That's freedom, you see, to break from raw license and to be constrained by loving commitment to the welfare of others in the community The great law, love your neighbor as yourself, Paul repeats in this little piece. Think that had St. Paul come with Larry and me to the concert last night, had he seen that great grin on the young drummer's face, his delight at playing with this quartet, had he watched as Mimi Jones danced with her bass, he'd have said, see that? That's what I'm talking about. There's no sign of jealousy. There's no anger, no dissension or envy on that stage, none at all. There's just a whole lot of shared joy and generosity that's spilling off the stage and into the audience. That's what I'm talking about, Paul might have said. Now go. Go and be free like that in the whole of your lives. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.